Hello again, dear friends. Thanks for joining me. Um, today our text is Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5 to verse 18. Hebrews 2, 5 to 18. It'll be a real help to you if um, you have that open in front of you as we work through this important passage. Now, one of the things that I really appreciate about uh, Hebrews, and I've, I've just grown to appreciate it more and more as I've been reading and rereading this book in preparation for this series, one of the things that I appreciate is the author's use of theological argument as he seeks to persuade us of the truth and encourage us to respond in the right way. There are a number of ways of seeing this persuasive element or this argument, this logic in the letter. But perhaps one of the simplest ways is just to look at words like the word so, or therefore, or because, or for, or since. So, therefore, because, for, since. Just read through the letter again in your own time and just keep an eye open for those words. I mean, those are logic words, aren't they? They're argument words. Now, argument in the true sense of that word, like deducing certain things and drawing conclusions and building arguments. It's all the language of rhetoric or persuasion. And this letter is full of persuasion. It's a word of exhortation. He's told us that at the end of the letter. And throughout this letter, there is this theological argument uh, convincing us of truth and persuading us to try and respond in the right way. Now, a case in point is chapter 2, verse 17, which comes towards the end of our text. Let me read it again for us. Therefore, he, that is Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Do you see there's logic and argument in that verse? Therefore, because of this, Jesus had to do that so that he could accomplish this. So he's reasoning with us and he's giving us a theological background to what he is saying or, or theological argument content to what he's saying. Now, what's the issue at stake in chapter 2, verse 5 through to chapter 2, verse 18? Well, uh, I want you to think about this with me and, and just chew this over in your own time. But let me suggest to you that the issue at stake in this passage is the crisis of experience that these Christians were having. And on the one hand, there was the now, the truth that they knew about Jesus, that he was God the Son, and that he was exalted to the right hand of the Father. And indeed, that as with Adam in creation, he quotes Psalm 8, which is a creation psalm, but it's also a new creation psalm. In Psalm 8, which he quotes in verse 6 through to verse 8, all things were put under Adam and Eve's feet. Everything was put under the feet of humanity. All things were made subject to the first man and the first woman, our original parents. And this is the greatness of humanity as opposed to everything else in our world. It's what gives human dignity and authority to us, that God created us to be his image and placed everything under our feet. So what was true for Adam in the first creation, for Eve in the first creation, is now true for Jesus. We've seen that already in the new world, the world to come. He is the last Adam. He is the head of the new humanity and he's the heir of all things and the Lord of the world to come. That is the truth. But notice what he says in verse 8. Everything has been subject to Jesus and nothing has been left outside of his control. Agreed? That's what's true of Jesus as the exalted king. But, says the writer, at present, 
We do not yet see everything in subjection to him. And we don't, do we? The COVID pandemic, all the other issues, the struggles and, tri and trials and tribulations, the brokenness, the tragedies of our world, nature itself, um, everything in our world reminds us, shouts out to us that something is very wrong. And it certainly doesn't look to us in our daily experience, does it? As if everything is in subjection under Jesus' rule. In fact, we, it seems quite the opposite. It seems as if Jesus has no control and that things are out of control. So there's what we know, the now of what we know, the world to come, which is already broken in. The age to come, says Hebrews, has already broken in with the coming of Christ. Everything is subject to Jesus. But our experience in this world is that we don't see that. That's the struggle. What we actually see is Jesus made a little lower than the angels. So the one whom the angels will worship, we saw this in our last episode, in his incarnation as the last Adam, the head of a new humanity, comes into our world in humble form so that the one whom the angels will worship and the one whom the angels did worship as God the Son now enters our world and is made lower than the angels. What an extraordinary thing. We see Jesus incarnate and we see his suffering of death and we see him being perfected by suffering, verse 10, which, by the way, doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't perfect, but just that he had to learn obedience as a human being to his father's will. He had to succeed where Adam failed, obeying God in everything. And what else do we see? We see that, verse 14, he came to share our flesh and blood so that he could taste death. Extraordinary that God himself should become a human being and be made just like us. Of course, just like us in every way except sin, because Jesus is sinless, and Hebrews makes that quite clear. So what do we have to take on board? Jesus is Lord over everything now, but the path that he followed in order, verse 10, to bring us to glory... Do you see that? Isn't that a lovely phrase? I know the ESV says many sons to glory. He means bring sons and daughters to glory... That is bringing human beings to glory, to that purpose for which God created us in the first place. Restoring our creation, dignity and more. In order to bring us to glory. In order to bring us, verse 12, into the congregation in which he can tell um, of the Lord's name in the midst of the congregation. And he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Isn't that extraordinary? That Jesus is not ashamed of us. Um, what an amazing thing that he can bring us to glory and welcome us into that new world as brothers and sisters already now sharing in that age to come, albeit not fully and finally yet, giving help to us as, um, as those children of Abraham, that is the people of faith, made my, like us in every respect. He's done all of this. So that we can go to glory. But the path that Jesus has followed, do you see it? Is the path of, verse 9, suffering of death. So that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. The founder of their salvation being made perfect through suffering, verse 10. So the way Jesus brings us to glory, the way he sanctifies us and perfects us, making us ready for the world to come, is by himself giving up the worship of the angels, becoming found in human form like us, and not only becoming found in human form like us, but submitting himself to this terrible death upon the cross. 
so that he might make propitiation for our sins, verse 17, be tempted as we are, and in fact, in that way, defeat death, defeat the devil who has the power of death, and set us free from our lifelong slavery of the fear of death. Death stalks our lives, doesn't it? Death is the great shadow over our world. We've been reminded of that again and again in this past year. And we do anything to avoid death, not to talk about death. And yet it is the one great inevitable reality. And the devil uses the reality of death and all that it means to keep us locked into this world, clinging to this world, living for ourselves in this world. But Jesus has defeated death. He's overcome the evil one. He's dealt with our sins, the things that will keep us out of the world to come. And he has done that by himself going to glory via the cross. Now, how does this speak into the problem we have? It reminds us that the path that Jesus followed to bring us to glory, this is the key thing, is the path that we ourselves must follow in order to follow Jesus to glory. Jesus goes to glory via suffering and hardship and trial and the cross. We don't see our world subject to him yet. It will be then. Our world is a world of trials and tribulations. In other words, what this is Hebrews way of saying to us, what Jesus says in the gospel, that if anyone wants to follow him, we must take up our cross and follow. What an extraordinary passage. The incarnate Lord, Jesus himself, God the Son, coming into our world, being made like us in every way, not to give us an easy ride, to secure our salvation for the future and to set an example. That's why the word, the pioneer, the founder is used in verse 10. Jesus is the pioneer of our salvation, not only because he secures salvation for us, but because he sets that example that we must follow. His road to glory was via the cross. Our road to glory is exactly the same. But it is the road to glory. And therefore we can be encouraged as we walk this hard road that because, verse 18, he himself suffered and was tested, he is able to help us as we ourselves are being tested. Jesus loves you so much that he became just like you, except for your sin, except for my sin, so that through what he has done in his great victory at the cross, dealing with sin, defeating the devil and destroying death, he might indeed open the gates of that new world for you and for me. But it's going to take time and we have to be patient in following him while we do not yet see everything subject to him. Hope that's a help to you. I hope it will help you think more clearly both about the reality of Jesus' greatness and the reality of our world and not give up just because life happens to be tough at this moment. Thanks for watching.